All right, and we're live here at the station of decapitation. You just heard Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by C.J. Graham, Jason Voorhees of Friday 13th Part 6. Jason lives, and it's very cool to have you here. What's up, N.N., Nasty Neal? Yeah, it's good to talk to you. With you. A Thank lot you. of people consider Part 6 their favorite of uh, the franchise. Oh, there were others? I thought Part 6 was <laughs> right. the old... It always, it's always smart were... to start with Part 6. I, exactly. Why watch anything else? Just go to the best. Yes. I, I, I was going to say recently, but it was last year. But I saw part six outside at a cabin in the woods. They showed it for on Friday the 13th. Uh, it was a very fun experience by a lake when you could actually get together and watch movies. And, it was, uh, and they had a Jason walking around. It was very fun. Nice. I, you know, it's getting real popular right now, the drive-in movies also with the same same features, you know, watching on Friday the 13th and having somebody in costume. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, it is October. Do you, do you do anything cool for Halloween? Normally, yes. Um, this year, though, I am. I'm going to be doing a Days of the Dead convention in Vegas, and then I'm going to go to Indianapolis for another Days of the Dead for Halloween. Uh, normally, I had some other events, and some have been canceled with the coronavirus. And, you know, we're going to do everything we do to practice safety. You know, we wear a mask hand sanitizers, and everything feasible that's possible um, without just locking ourselves in the cabin and not coming out. Yeah. yeah so it's a, it's a weird, weird world this year. I don't think anyone would have first foresaw uh, 2020. No, I, th- I really think people remember this, their entire livelihood, no matter how small or how big. Yes, definitely. So uh, I guess how did you get the role of Jason? And were you a, were you a Jason fan before uh, – before getting the part? Well, I'll answer the second question. Was I a Jason fan? Not more so. I was um, of interest. I'd seen the film, you know, I'd seen a little bit of them. So I've I've always enjoyed the universal horror monsters, the Frankensteins, uh, monsters like uh, the mummy, Dracula, Mm -hmm. werewolf. So I was a fan of those, but you know, this is the first part of the eighties and so on. It was just picking up. Um, As far as getting the part, um, I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate. I always say sometimes there's talent. Sometimes there's luck. Sometimes there's a combination of both. Um, I was in both lanes at the right time and got the job. And successfully, three decades later, here we are having this conversation with Nasty Neil. Very good. What, was there like an audition for Jason? You know, the audition was very unique. Uh, I went over and met uh, Tom uh, McLaughlin, the writer-director, uh, I also met the special effects people in Michael Nomad, who was the stunt coordinator. And then from that point, I migrated over to Frank Mancuso Jr. at Paramount Studios. So it wasn't a physical showing. It was a statue being able to walk in and having that physical statue that they were looking for. Interesting. And you brought up Universal Monsters, and I have them here. They're, you know, I grew up with that, too. It's my favorite. And uh, watching Part 6 again, there is a lot of like uh, callbacks or homage to uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, that's Tom McLaughlin's uh, fingerprint. Uh, He also, Universal Monster, uh, you know, big time into the horror of the 60s. And, you know, when he talked about the Jason coming back to life, like Frankenstein, with electricity, that's why he didn't want Jason to be a zombie. Wanted Jason to have some thought process or some connectivity of brain cells as he was going through the process of the film. So you may see some things where you go, oh, that's cool, or... Now I can see why Jason is non-stoppable going forward after part six, because when he was brought back to life, the only way to really take his life is to dismember him. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, that's really uh, – I've had arguments with people. They think he's always kind of a ghost or something, but I, I, I say from part six on is when he's supernatural. And it is. I mean, if, if you do – are you familiar with the Universal Studios? A Frankenstein was built out of several different dead bodies. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, you could go forward with that uh, with the head of Jason and add all new body parts and continue on with the process. So did you take some of that uh, – into consideration when you're playing Jason, like uh, Frankenstein or the mummy for like your movements? I, I didn't actually take it into consideration, but Tom McLaughlin gave me real good direction. I mean, he was the director and my part was a little different than most actors or actresses. You know, sometimes you embrace uh, the character and you become the character um, and you put your own little twist on the character. Mine was, he really had a thought and we sat down and had some real in-depth conversations uh, he still allowed me to put in how I wanted to walk because that was my natural walk, which he embraced because that's what he was looking for. He was looking for that forward motion that it's not that I can tear your head off. It's that I can actually pull your arms off, break your back, and still keep moving forward. So that's the part he really liked. Uh, was any of that hard? Because when I was watching again, like you said about the forward movement, like like for like the water scene or when you're breaking through a wall because like <laughs> – you know, I would assume that's a little more difficult. Yeah, I guess, you know, to find the word hard. Um, lo and behold, um, most people just found out in the last few years, uh, friends of mine like uh, Steve Dash, Kane Hodder, uh, that I had never done a stunt in my life. Oh, really? I was going to ask about your background before the movie. I had no idea of any of the above. So everything you saw was the first time I ever did it. So there was no fear factor because I'd never been there. Being underwater, I was 20 feet down on an Olympic-sized swimming pool in Los Angeles. I was physically chained to the bottom, and I would signal to the uh, chest for safety divers to swim in and give me oxygen. Um, so I was really in their hands when it came to survival. Going through the wall to the doors, the biggest thing about that was making sure that my first step, I planted my right foot, which I'm right-handed, so that's my strong side, because if I hit the wood or indifferently went down, it was just a matter of time before your ACL or your body was in a, uh, turning downward, and now we got to reshoot. Reshoot means money. That means we got to set up the scene, et cetera. So um, for me, I was one shot. I was, that's it. I was very fortunate. I was lucky, like I said earlier. Uh, and I, I, I hope, I feel I delivered. Uh, since you didn't have a background in, um, in stunts, did you get any injuries? Um, not, no, not really. I mean, you know, when you're young, you fall off a horse, you tuck and roll. When you're my age, when I fall off my horse, I go thump. <laughs> so no walking you know? through walls right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, you know, a thump is a different than tuck and roll. You know, when you're young, you got that. Yeah, I can do all this. I can do a backflip. I'm a badass. Can you say badass on the air? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay. I'm a badass and it's all good, but I will. I would look at it differently today. Uh, you know, I might put some tape on my knee or my ankle before I went crazy, uh, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't think about doing it again. Yeah. So the underwater stuff, like, uh, I would think that would be nerve-wracking. I don't know. What, especially when you have all this, not only being chained to the to the bottom, but also having all the, the makeup and the prosthetics on. Yeah, the interesting thing is what we did is we took an Olympic-sized diving pool, so you can imagine how high that diving board is. 20 feet down, they put a black tarp all the way around because we're shooting at night and you don't want to see in the background. And then they stood me on a brick, 
put a real chain on me and just full wardrobe. I had a mask on and the safety divers would just swim right in because I couldn't see anything. I could just feel the other actor in front of me, legs, feet. They would swim in and pull my mask up and just stick that regulator right into my mouth and clear it for me uh, so I could get some oxygen. I'd take a few breaths. I'd let it out, pull my mask back down. Um, they had a piece of Velcro right here so it would stick and kept going as long as I could or until uh, myself or Tom Matthews did a great job. Tom Matthews, uh, kudos, he probably did 95% of his own underwater. Now, there might be a migrant difference where when he's in trouble or Phil's in trouble, he can, you know, he can call for the safety divers or he can get to the surface, you know, within 15 feet. I'm kind of stuck down there, so I wasn't going too far uh, without a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff going on even before you get in under the water because there's fire around the boat. And so, and this is like pre-CGI days. So, it's, you know, it's actually fire there. And what was that whole scene like to film? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, again, having no experience, there was no fear factor. Right. Uh, so when I set myself on fire, when I backed into the flame um, and I could see flames coming over the mask, in my one eye, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was really thinking, am I getting paid and how much am I getting paid to do this? Because uh-huh. uh, I'm going to the bank the next day to cash that check. Um, it was interesting, challenging, but at the same time, um, I was fortunate. I had a lot of good people around me, and there's a lot of people, including my good friend, Kane Otter, that have been harmed by a bad fire gig. Yes, yeah. Uh, his book is amazing, and then he did the the documentary. You know, after that, both of yeah, them are. Tell back. I would, you know, I would, I would tell people to take a look at it. It's a very interesting facts behind the scenes, not just of Kane and his life and what he's gone through, but as a stuntman, some of the things he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time I had met him, uh, they sent me the book for him on the show, and. Um, I hadn't read it yet, but I met him at uh, Rock and Shock, and there was a lot of um, and I didn't know why at the time until I read the book. It was before he really. It was right when he was coming out about the burns because he kept it a secret for a long time. You know, he'd wear the the turtleneck and stuff. And there was a lot of uh, burn victims at Rock and Shock, which is a festival here in, in Massachusetts, that came to see him because of the book had come out, and like they saw him, you know, as uh, someone to look up to because he he was you know coming out and being you know open about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, really touching, honestly. Um, you know, a, a bad scene that happened, if I recall, in Reno, uh, outside Reno, he was doing a, a burn for a TV station, and it went bad, very bad, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, and he's had to deal with that. You can only imagine, uh, you may or may not know, but when the skin is burnt, and Kane taught me this, that it no longer grows or expands. So from a muscle perspective, you can't, and then it doesn't breathe. So you you don't know. Your skin doesn't really breathe or sweat naturally, so um, it's a challenge. He, you know, I kudos to him for even being the Jason the four times he did and having to wear all that, that uh, prosthetics and sweating and not being able to have his body breathe naturally like a normal body. Now, did you be, become friends with Kane at the the conventions, or did you know him you know, like when you're doing the movie? No, actually, I met Kane probably in um, about 1990. We've been friends ever since. Um, I don't do. I did some conventions here and there 15 years ago or so. My very, very first convention was with Kane Hodder and Lar Park Lincoln, and then I did one sporadically here and there. Um, you know, for the last 20, 25 years, I've been executive, uh, chief operating officer, general manager of casino resorts. So for me to take a weekend and run over and do a show wasn't reasonable. I mean. Uh, I could 
10 o'clock at night and to get a phone call from the pit that I've got somebody beating me for half a million dollars or wants another half a million dollar credit line. And I'm not where I need to be to make sure I'm protecting and watching the business. So um, about three years ago, I retired from running casinos and then I've been able to go out and do shows more frequently and then enhance my relationships with everybody in the gate. It's everybody from the guys, you know, that we know about there, not just the Jasons, but the Halloween, the Michael Myers, you know, the Freddy Kruegers, Alice Cooper. We get to see everybody out there. It's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting to see uh, Lou Ferrigno and the people that I've always idolized and had a good time meeting. Now I get to see them personally when I do a convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. R.A. Mihailov, I'm not sure know if you're uh, friends with him or not, but I uh, played Leatherface. He was the one who gave me the name Nasty Neil. Nasty Neil. Yeah. We got to come up with a logo. N-N. There, yeah, you're thinking. But all right, so you said about running the the casinos, and you know, I, I like I'm a not only a horror movie fan. I like the old school uh, mob movies like Casino and Goodfellas. Did you? Was there anything like that? I don't know if you know. Maybe that would have been before you were involved. But like people that were running scams, and I don't know what would what happened. Like, was there anything like Casino going on? Interesting point. Let me put it this way. For about four years, I was a casino manager at the Flamingo. Oh, really? Inter- <laughs> well, this, I, didn't, I didn't even know that either, about the Flamingo. There's, there's always a scam somewhere. If it's not a scam on a table, it's the dealer stealing or a player stealing or counting down a deck or trying to set up a slot machine or a hustle at the front door. There's always something going on in a gaming environment. It's negotiable to say where the line is. But people are going to try to win to do what they can. So you always have surveillance, which is extremely helpful. And a lot of good people working the floor, pit bosses that are monitoring uh, slot machines for people that are stealing, uh, stealing credits and things like that from people who leave credits. So there's always a game when it comes to gaming. All right. Yeah, I was just at Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut uh, for my mom's birthday. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, do you miss, was that exciting to, to be in the, to do the, uh, work in the casino? Yes. You know what? I mean, for me, it was very exciting. Uh, I remember my de- my days back in the early eighties when I was just a dealer dealing 21, wearing a bright ass pink shirt in Reno, Nevada, pushing cards, then dealing craps and roulette. Then I worked my way through all the ranks, uh, supervisor, pit boss, casino manager, executive vice president, general manager, and chief operating officer. So for me, learning all the different facets of, of the business and the different strategies and marketing strategies and hotel, um, I found it encouraging. For me, it was more enjoyable because I'm always paying attention to things and learning. Uh, am I always the smartest in the room? Never. But I always know to hire the smartest. And that's not an intimidation factor for me. That's a learning factor for me also. So I've always had the best people around me that I could hire. Are you yourself, uh, did you play any of the games? That's probably a no-no when you're working in the casino, I guess. But I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not a gamer. I know the odds. I know the statistics. I know what those slots pay, how they pay table games. I can count a deck down, but I'm not going to sit there and wager. Just because I can count a deck down and I get to a negative 14 or a positive 14, I'm not going to chunk it out there. But it doesn't mean you're always going to win. There is some luck involved, as I said. So strategically, I'm not a gamer. I just don't get there. Yeah. It makes sense, but uh, 
Uh, I have fun. I'm with, like I said, with my mom. And I think if you don't bring up more than you're, you're willing to lose, you're going to have a good time anyway. And that, that's a good point. Listen, I mean, so when you say you have fun, what do you play? A slot machine? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, like I said, it was my mom's 70th birthday. So it was me, my brother, and her. And we would play together, you know. What slot machine? Penny, nickel, quarter, dollar, five uh, we were Actually, we mostly played pennies this time, like the video ones with all the different here's, bonuses. And here's stuff. your biggest mistake, and here's your cue. Penny machines hold the most in the entire casino, for the casino, not for the player. They're the most popular. About 55% of the machines on the floor are penny machines. They are very, very popular. But did you notice how many times you were playing a dollar, a dollar fifty, two, and three dollars? Oh yeah, it's almost the same as if you played. Uh, you're yeah. playing because you're know. playing like forty lines and stuff. Yeah, and they hold about fifteen percent. Yeah, and uh, I remember when I first started to go, you actually had the bucket of change and you would carry it around. It's a much different time now, and it just comes out well, a little slip. Started, they used roll coins, roll dollars, uh, Eisenhower, etc. Yeah. And then in time, slugs, slugs were cheaper than buying real dollars. You can make a slug for five cents that had a value of a dollar when you got to the cage. Um, at the same time, then they went to slugs, then they went to paperless. Um, I happened to work at the MGM Grand when it first opened in Las Vegas. They had a section that they went paperless, first paperless place in Las Vegas. It lasted maybe less than a year, if I recall correctly, and they took it out. It wasn't just the, the players weren't grasping onto that paperless concept and now when you go to most casinos everything is paperless ticket in ticket out yeah the first time i remember that was uh the dog tracks here in massachusetts because you couldn't they for legal reasons it couldn't be like a regular slot machine it would be the the, the slips and then it just became everywhere yeah there's a you know it, it's it's a thin line so to speak of how they manipulate the system rather than just being straightforward there's always a line there's always like i said there's always a game when it comes to gaming. Right. So uh, I guess you wouldn't really be recognized as Jason when you were doing the casinos, but when did you, when did you know that like the, the movie had such a following? Did you always were aware of that? I, I found that out actually during the casino time because uh, uh, unbeknownst to me, I would have, when I was a general manager, chief operating officer, I'd have uh, employees. I had around 23 to 2,500 employees and a lot of times an employee would come up to me and, you know, hi, Mr. Graham, I'm a big fan of the Friday the 13th and da-da-da-da. And then a few times, even for Halloween, I would sign autographs for the employees, for their family members. So I noted then, and even one time at a casino, we had a VIP party on Halloween, and I autographed for all the VIP players. Now, these are players with anywhere from 50000 to a million-dollar credit line, and they were just in awe to get an autograph color picture from Jason, either for themselves or a family member, because there was a, there was a connectivity between everybody when it comes to horror. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned Kane a couple times. Um, were you up to play uh, Jason in, in part seven? Did they come to you at all for that? Hi, this is Kane Hodder, Victor Crowley, Jason from Friday the 13th. You're listening to withoutyourhead.com. Um, yes, I was. I mean, Kane has said it before. I was actually uh, slotted for part seven. Paramount Studios was satisfied with part six. Um, John took over as being the director. Kane uh, really has known John for many years, and Kane is a big horror fan. So he was able to convince John. John had to then go to Paramount Studios 
uh, Frank Mancuso Jr. to request and get the change from uh, myself and Kane. Uh, however, at that point, let's look at Kane's career. He's done it four times, been a great ambassador for the series, for the franchise. The things that he does every weekend, every other weekend going out there for the franchise, I don't think I could have done that. Plus, I stayed a little longer in Hollywood. I did a few national commercials. I did a movie called Highway to Hell that I played Hellcop. Yeah. And then I migrated back to Las Vegas. And then from there, I just continued in my career again uh, to where I'm at now, where I was able to retire about three years ago. Yeah, I mean, I've had Kane on uh, several times, and he's definitely not someone who just played Jason, you know, it was just a role to him. It really means a lot to him. It does, and I mean that in a, in a, a very humble way because, yes, Part 7 would have been fun, but at yeah. the same time, you know, one thing about back in the 80s that I knew back then is a person of my statue, 6'3", 6'4", 240, 250, there's really not a lot of parts for you to play. There's really not. Even in today, what am I want me to stand next to Sylvester Stallone? What is he, 5'11"? Um, it doesn't work. Now, Dolph London, yeah, he's my size. I've met him at a convention. Um, but most of your mainstream actors are in the 5'9 to 5'11 window, they don't want some gigantic person like me standing next to them taking up screen space, to be fair. And I'm not normal. I mean, I'm big. They're a normal-sized human being. So in those days, I had always wished there would have been a management team that did nothing but masks, be it Halloween, prosthetics, Darth Vader, any of the above, because that would have been a perfect character or characters for a person of my size back in the 80s to do, because I wasn't really concerned with seeing my face. That meant nothing to me. Um, but the characters, I think, would have been fun. Now it's becoming more uh, normal. Uh, I'll give you, and some of the people you may know, like Derek Mears, he's done quite a few things with a mask. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't mind. He, he's got a great statue, great physique. He loves... Uh, you know, working out there and doing improv and things, but he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind if you put a mask on him because he's done the different features with a mask. And there are some that prefer not to wear a mask. It's just I want to be seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had uh, Derek and Tyler Maine on uh, not very long ago, and it was funny because uh, Tyler, the movie that they made together, Tyler Maine had a height requirement, and the reason was he didn't want. It's almost the reverse of what you're saying. He didn't want everyone to look. Uh, certain people look like tiny, so everyone had to be over, even the women had to be over like six feet tall or maybe 5'10", so they looked like you know, normal-sized people. Right, and it's a, it's a true statement, but you know, you know, Neil, what's really cool about this is that, I'll give you a good example. If I go to India, and I've said this before, India is about 1.3, 1.4 billion people, give or take one. Mm -hmm. If I show them a picture of Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, if I show them a picture of C.J. Graham, however, if I flip it over and show them a picture of the hockey mask, Jason, mm -hmm. Friday the 13th, <laughs> they know that iconic image of the hockey mask. So they may not know Jason, specifically C.J. or Derek or Kane, but they do know the hockey mask iconically. Yeah, yeah, that's the iconic, definitely. So the, um, did you get to keep the mask or anything from the movie? Well, I don't want to use the word keep. They just happened to leave one, and I just kept it. Right. Uh, you know, in those days, there wasn't as much accountability. Today, everything is accounted for, one, two, three. In those days, there were only about 13 in total. And, yes, like I said, I have one that we're using right now to hold up my iPhone uh, that I just put in a shadow box that I've kept. 
Um, Tom Matthews, you mentioned, uh, I've had him on the show too. I like Tom Matthews. Uh, did you keep in touch with him at all? You know, before uh, the convention? I just text Tom Matthews today. Oh, really? A true story. Um, I just found a couple pictures of him from the film on, on set and I sent them to him to show his lovely wife, Carla, so they could giggle because, you know, it was 35 years ago. He can go, what the heck? And he said, oh, I'm so young. Uh, I will see Tom Matthews next week in Las Vegas. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Days of the Dead. So that's very cool. Yeah, he's a, he's a super nice guy, too. Had him on the show a few times. I remember one of the, the first time I had him on, it's a silly uh, story, but he wasn't really doing many interviews. But we were Facebook friends, and we played Farmville together, and he did the show because we were Farmville fans. So Yeah, he, what, he, he's, you know, in – it's hard to look at the, the 80 horror movies and some of the 90s. Like you said earlier, they don't have all the computer-generated background. And I think the fans embrace it much more because yeah. it's a reality factor. Um, it's possible to roll up your window and Jason in a hockey mask or some crazy person in a clay, uh, clown face is standing there and coming through the window. That's a true feature. I love some of the great movies out there. They're great. Don't take it wrong. But when you know, how many times can you jump out of a plane, land on a car, do a backflip and stand and go to war? It's just, that's nice. It's cool. It's very athletic. Don't misconstrue. It took a lot of work. But we all know that it's not a, a realization of facts where a Michael Myers, interesting, you know? I think even if you're not aware of that, like your mind is, and you and like uh, there's not, the weight isn't right, I think, on a lot of the CG, and it just doesn't feel the same. And it doesn't, but it's really amazing because the, the t uh, technology is really cool, and those guys are wired up to do a lot of stuff with wires and backflips and front flips and a lot of work. Don't misconstrue. But if you don't have all the gadgets, it ain't real. It's, you know, but, you know, it's like a Michael Myers, like I said, or a Leatherface. You know, you kind of you, you start going, oh, geez. You know, I mean, when you see something behind a tree and it's a shadow and you just get a whiff of a hockey mask, people freak. Like you said, you stayed at a camp uh, about a year ago and had some fun and there was a Jason out there and you just don't know. Uh, back to the cane too, because uh, I read, I don't know if this is true or not, that you were offered uh, Jason again for Freddy versus Jason and you turned it down because of your friendship with Kane. Well, it was... How I define it is, you know, there was an interest brought my way when we came back to do it. Um, humbly, I was the chief operating officer of two casino resorts at the time in Coachella Valley. And honestly, there was a combination of, well, this kind of feels awkward. I've known Kane a lot of years. Yeah. Um, you know, and not to mention, honestly, I wasn't going to leave a job making $5 an hour to go do a job, I was going to make $2 and then I'd be unemployed after eight weeks. Right. So realistically, it wasn't logical. Um, and they did a great job. You know, they were looking for somebody a little taller and I'm a little bigger than Ken, not much, but they picked Ken. And I don't know if you know Ken, but Ken is 6'6". Six, six. Mm -hmm. Ken's a big man. He's from Vancouver, BC. And I just learned about a year ago when we were talking, Ken and I, that they put a two-inch platform on him and make him 6'8". So he was seriously a monster. Uh -huh. Yeah, I've had him on the show, too. And I met him, too, at a, at a convention. Oh, really, I think all, all the Jasons, I'm real, not just the Jasons, pretty much there's very few anyone I've met from the horror world that actually weren't good people. Right. And, and you Only know, the one nice, stands out. The, you know, they're very 
the people that I am aware of are very humbly um, appreciative that we're wearing masks or whatever. But you know what's interesting as you think about it is, what are the most popular films right now? The DC movies and everybody's wearing a mask. Go mm -hmm. figure. That's a good point. Uh, so what was Alice Cooper like? He is in, uh, great. I just saw him about, well, before the lockdown. I think I saw him in November of last year. We did a convention together. Uh, we do conventions together probably one a year where I'll put the full wardrobe on. And uh, the fans get to take photo with Alice Cooper, me and wardrobe and themselves, of course. Um, Alice is the most down-to-earth gentleman you've ever known. Uh, just as, as, as nice as can be, Hall of Famer, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Um, I always tell people I'm very fortunate in part six that I, I'm the only one that had a James Bond opening. Uh, I'm the only one that it's comes back awesome to life. Yeah. yeah, I'm the only one that comes back to life like Frankenstein. I'm the only one that gets to have a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer do the music. And I'm the only one who gets to wear a Batman utility belt. So... <laughs> You know, I think I got a pretty good, and you know, there's no nudity in part six, a little bit of comedy, but it's nothing too much where nobody makes fun of Jason. And in my opinion, I think part six is where Jason becomes a principal. Now they're watching to see what the maniac is going to do next. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think from that one, that one especially is about Jason to see what, right. what he's doing. It's not so much the other characters. Were you aware of the opening, the James Bond opening before you see the, the finished film? Um, I wasn't before I saw the finished film because that was the last shot that I did back in Los Angeles. And as you know, that was my first time working, which was a green screen, just walking across the green screen, turning just like James Bond and slicing. Yeah. You know, so James would shoot and I would slice and that was it. So I did a few, about four or five takes till we got what we wanted. And then the rest was put together with the computer. Uh, when you saw the, the movie for the first time, what was that experience like? It was humbling. I mean, at the time, it was like, oh, that's cool. I wore a hockey mask. And Jason uh, was just starting to grow in popularity. Um, it, it wasn't the iconic image it's become over the last couple, three decades. So didn't think much of it. Um, interesting. Like I said, uh, I stayed for a few more years. I was general manager of some nightclubs in Los Angeles, um, general manager of Chippendales in Culver City. I worked for Steve Banerjee. And I was the general manager of the original Tramp of London, in the Beverly Center on Beverly Hills, I worked for a young lady named Jackie Collins. And she's an author, Joan Collins' sister. Mm -hmm. And that private nightclub was members only, uh, like Stallone, Table 5, Prince, Table 43, Red Wine. So you got to kind of not meet the celebrities, but you got to be in that environment. And that's where I met a gentleman that said, well, you did Friday the 13th. Do you have a SAG card? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, well, why don't you go on calls and we'll see if we can get you some other parts. And the rest is history because that's when Highway to Hell came, uh, AT&T, Colgate, Gatorade, you know, national commercials. Um, so, and then about 91 or two, I decided, again, being a big character, um, I had a shot to go back to Las Vegas and work at a casino and go back into the industry, and I grabbed it. I uh, well, never looked back. What was Highway to Hell like to film? It was hot. <laughs> <laughs> It was shot in uh, Arizona, Lake Powell uh, area. Uh, I got a chance to work with Christy Swanson, uh, Buffy and the Vampire, and several other films. Chad Lowe, Rob Lowe's younger brother. Uh, Patrick Virgin, who was the husband of Sleeping with the Enemy, opposite Julia Roberts. And Lita Ford was in it. And uh, you heard of a guy named Ben Stiller? Oh, yeah. 
he was in it for about eight seconds. Uh-huh. Uh, and his mom and dad were both in it. And I think his sister had a very small part too. So um, it was one of those films. It was very fortunate. Uh, I took the role over the person, again, going back to mask, the person that originally got cast for it after he realized that the whole time would be prosthetics. He would never get to see his face. He backed out before they started shooting. So I just happened to have a similar physique, but more importantly, facial structures because they'd already spent $100,000 on prosthetics. And the special effects guy that did all the prosthetics was a gentleman named Steve Johnson, very well-known uh, special effects makeup artist. Were, were those, uh, was that makeup longer to put on each day since it wasn't like, you know, the hockey mask? Yeah, it was five hours a day, no doubt. Three o'clock in the morning, good old MTV was at the very popular, and I'd sit there on MTV watching it and fall asleep in a makeup chair as they put about five or six pieces of prosthetics on my face. My lips were glued on, um, a nose, ears, so that when I moved my eyebrows or my lips, everything moved with me. So it was pretty unique. And it was, uh, I would sit there during lunch call and uh, have a milkshake and drink from a straw so that I wouldn't get the glue off my lips. Yeah. Uh, what's that like to take off? Uh, long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because you're taking all this uh, remover and they're taking Q-tips and they're going like this through you. Uh, so part of, my, part of my agreement was every week I had to go get a facial, you know, to clean up all my pores because I had been in glue all week long. So I'd go into town and get a facial, get my face cleaned up, and then go back and do it the next time again. So when they're using uh, like a rubbing alcohol and stuff to get all the glue off, uh, your skin gets a little sensitive after a while. Uh, there's a lot of questions here on the group, and then the uh, we might have uh, covered a lot of them. But, oh, uh, John Wood wants to know: Do you have your uh, favorite kill from Jason Lives? Yeah, I do. My favorite kill is actually breaking the sheriff's back, and the reason I say that—that's more of a Frankenstein move. Uh, it's not blood. It's not guts. It's pure power. Uh, when, one of the kills when you're in the RV in the bathroom with, with the girl, was that hard to shoot because it would be such a small area, it looks like? Yeah, Darcy did amazing. Uh, Darcy allowed me to physically pick her up by the head, and she was standing on a toilet and just beating the hell out of me, basically, in a very small, confined area to make it look realistic. And I had to just make sure I, I had a good grip on her, but I wouldn't hurt her. But at the same time, she was lifting up and kicking with everything she had in that little room. Even more importantly is when we did the final shot, her face comes into a camera or it goes through the motorhome. She allowed me physically to take her face and throw it at a camera and stop, you know. And she just gave me that four inches of space with her head, and she just let it go. And, you know, again, kudos to her for allowing me and trusting me to do a stunt of that magnitude with her head, because you got to realize that camera's right there in only two more inches and, you know, you're cutting her badly. Uh, AJ wants to know besides part six, Jason, what's your favorite look for uh, Jason? Was there other Jason besides part six? I'm yeah, sorry. I think I, we're I, learning. I, that's I, the only one. Yeah. yeah. That's the only one. I think they started with the part six and they ended with part six partner. Uh, James just wants you know, a lot of people, so I won't say everyone who says it, but a lot of people, uh, James especially says uh, part six is his favorite. And a lot of people also uh, bring up, um, did, did you have any um, anything to do with the new box set that's coming out? Or is out now, I guess. 
No, not specifically. The interesting thing that um, I just got back from Los Angeles last week shooting an interview uh, for a project that's uh, related to horror movies. Uh, that's the most I can say about it. And upon leaving, of course, I waited an extra hour to see Kane to say hello. Uh, he's involved. So every time we turn around, somebody's giving us a holler to say, hey, we want to do something uh, for a box set or for an interview of a documentary. That's because it just keeps growing. I mean, we couldn't do this without the fans, number one. And though I sit there and make fun and laugh and giggle, James or whoever, and but at the end of the day, without the fans, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So thank you. And do you think um, a lot of the, the new interest, because it seems like there's always been interested, but uh, it would be people that grew up, you know, watching that movie when they're young and now they're old enough to make their own movies. You know, it's even more interesting is I've had three family, three generations come to me at a convention in full wardrobe, different movies, be it part seven, part six or other. And one was a full grown adult, maybe 40s, had his son who was in his 20s and had just a little person was probably seven years old. And I'm shocked. Uh, I had another fan send me a picture of his son in part six wardrobe. Um, the little guy must have been no bigger than five years old, you know, barely barely four feet off the ground uh -huh. and had the spear and everything stand out pretty. <laughs> so it's multi-generational and it is also surprising very humbly because some of these little people come up, uh, Tom McLaughlin, the writer director, uh, got a call recently from the little girl from the movie that was in the bed and she started doing her prayers. Well, she's now a young woman, uh, about 40 and has a child of her own, a little boy who is six, from what I understand, per Tom, and he wants a hockey mask, but he doesn't want one from Target. He wants one like... He wants, actually, yeah. he wants one off your desk, yeah. He wants the real deal, you uh -huh. know, and I thought that was really... Tom just was shocked, Tom McLaughlin. He was like, wow, just how humble is it? I mean, here we are three decades later. This person's mother was, what, 10 years old in the movie? And mm -hmm. here he himself is a huge... Friday the Thirteenth fan, yeah, and that's a scene. That's that particular scene is the one you uh, you see a lot in the Friday Thirteenth franchise. It's it's a guy's a nice scene. She's praying, and then uh, nothing bad happens to her. Yeah, Jason doesn't hurt little people. I always say children. It's when you become a teenager and act silly, then we got a problem. Right. Yeah, and uh, I have to say, I started watching horror movies when I was around five. Uh, my uh, my older brother's nine years older. And we have a single mom. Instead of a babysitter, she'd take me along to the drive-in with them. But uh, I think I turned out fine. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look at look at all the monsters behind you. Look great. Yeah, you got uh, Norman Bates up here. You got a, a couple of Friday, uh, a couple uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, good. I got some wrestling stuff too. I don't know if. You... Uh, let's see. Um... I don't know why someone actually asked if you have a favorite wrestler. What's up? This is James D. Lamont from It Came From The Flyweight Productions inviting you to listen to Culture Shock every second Monday right here on WithoutYourHead.com. Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, we're going to have to go back a little bit. I mean, I know everybody knows Hulk Hogan back in the 80s, and he's been through his challenges. But, you know, I think the most impressive one is the better way of looking at it is uh, Dwayne, The Rock. Uh, to look what he's done with his career Mm -hmm. the magnitude and the powerhouse he's become. I mean, congratulations to Dwayne. That's a very impressive. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of wrestlers go out and make movies, but he's 
like transcended that. Uh, he's arguably the biggest uh, actor in Hollywood. You know, and, he, and, and he they're talking about not only has he been, become a producer, a director, created his own shows, um, great comedian when he wants to be, and just yeah, I, I don't know him, never met him, but I think the aura he puts off is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And possibly future president. He's talking about you know maybe running sometime. You never know. Maybe he'll ask me to be VP. <laughs> I'm sure he's watching this. So, uh, yeah. so, so Dwayne, yeah. my name is CJ Graham, and I approve this message. I, th- I think it'll work out now. All right. Yeah. Uh, again, they asked about your favorite Friday Thirteenth before Part Six, but uh, there aren't any. So. No, I don't. I you know, I, I look at all the Fridays now because obviously I've seen them, um, and I they're all unique in their own format. Um, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to what the next one becomes. When you do Part Thirteen, technically, however it is developed, created, put out there. I hope I hope they go back to really the basics and set the formula so they can continue forward with others, part 14, 15, and so on. Um, you know, I don't want to go to space, no disrespect. Uh, we've all done all these different things, but if they can just connect and put the dots together, part six was set up to go into part seven uh, where Jason's father became part of the environment where you could see where he came from. Um, most films that are reasonably successful, they go back into the history of the person and all of a sudden you find out why they're like they are because of their mother, their father, their family. And I think that's a nice psychotic twist. You know, when you think of Leatherface and how everything was done, Mm -hmm. Texas Frightmare, that's how they did it. I mean, the grandpa was there, the family was there. It was pretty, pretty iconic. So I'm hoping they put some nice twist into the Jason when they get to part 13. Yeah, I think that's overlooked actually in the in the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies is uh, the success of the first couple is it because it's the the family dynamic and then uh, later ones uh, even the first three but later ones they really just focus on uh, Leatherface and but he's not that interesting by himself but if you have all the whole family there it's uh, much more interesting. Yeah, and that, because they're all a little psychotic and they all have their little specialty, but. I think at the same time, you know what? They've been successful. Don't change the formula too much, but you do have to keep basics when it comes to the 80s, 90s horror films because if you get too much going on with the green screens, you lose the flavor, and the flavor is the reality. Um, AJ says, what was it like to play Jason's father? AJ, so I did, as a matter of fact, I did a fan film about a year ago, Vengeance, and I played Elias Voorhees, and it was interesting. I grew a beard for about four months. They put a real stringy hair on me, and it was unique. The gentleman, uh, Mr. Brooks, that played Jason, it's similar in size, so it was very unique. Uh, There's a very cool, iconic picture of Jason facing father, Elias, which is me. And the concept is trying to get back to why Jason is who he is and what else is involved besides mommy. Um, It was very fun. I had a good time. I still have the wardrobe. Uh, I've been invited back possibly next year to look at uh, Vengeance, uh, the bloodline, uh, and see if I have an interest. I told him I'd look at everything and we'll go from there. Um, It was a nice film. Well done. Uh, There's always opportunity to improve. Don't misconstrue. But the idea that you know, that was Steve Dash's last film, of course. And Tom McLaughlin was in this film also, playing the, uh, the grave caretaker. So it had some nice uh, 
cameos by myself, mm -hmm. Steve Dash, and, and Tom McLaughlin. Now, what are your thoughts on like the rise of the fan films? I, you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, there's some good ones out there. Tom Matthews is involved in Never Hike Alone, mm -hmm. um, so there are quite a few good ones out there. The cost has become reasonable, and and not that it's cheap, it's still a couple hundred thousand, but the technology has advanced with the cameras so far that you can really put together a nice product uh, of similarity. In fact, Vengeance was shot around with the different lenses to make it more like an 80s film than a 2020 film because they were trying to capture that image, that look, that photography. So I think they really advanced quite, quite a lot. Uh, I did a film earlier this year, which wasn't really quite a fan film, with uh, Deborah Voorhees, 13 Fanboy. Mm -hmm. uh, Dee Wallace is uh, the star, and there's everybody from Kane Hunter to myself to Laura Park Lincoln, uh, Corey Feldman, and others engaged in this, and uh, we went to New Mexico and shot. So I think that was back in January of this year before the virus kicked in in March. Yeah, I'm a part of that group, and I know they've, you know, I've seen a lot of talk about it for, for it seems like years, I guess, for the last year or so. You know, and that's the thing. People just think you, you're boom and you're over. It's done. It's not quite that simple. I mean, you know, Deborah has been working on this film for a long time with Joel, and then they get it shot and pretty much wrapped by February, I think. But it's, it's they probably got it all edited down, ready to go, but they're trying to decide what we're going to do for distribution, how we go about it based on yeah, time. Especially now, yeah. Yeah. He said it's weird time. Yeah, I uh I uh was in my first feature film in December and produced my first feature film in in February. But every then the world kind of uh went went to hell and so I don't know where these things are at the moment. But And so. that's the point. I mean we've gotten, you know, multi million dollar, tens of millions of dollar films out there that are being pushed to next year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can imagine how that would cripple even someone like yourself that's looking for a return on your investment or ROI. And why would you put it out now when you might only get 50% return? And if you wait till next year, but it seems like you've been waiting and waiting when it finally comes out. I mean, you know, we've all aged two years, but that's the film industry. Mm -hmm. um, now that um, you are retired from the, uh, from the casino business, uh, would this be something you'd like to do once in a while, do uh, more movies? Yeah, you know, I, I still have a Screen Actors Guild card, so I'm, I'm, I'm always engaged, and I'm looking at opportunities. I've passed on a couple. Uh, Deborah Voorhees with the 13 Fanboy looked like it was fun. It was something to do with all my uh, people that I've worked with in the industry. And then, of course, the first one was a year ago, Vengeance. I did it in September, if I recall, uh, in 2019. So it's only been a year, um, and everybody's kind of went dormant underground right now because of what's going on. So I don't anticipate much until 2021. But yes, there's some opportunity. And now that I don't look at it as um, a source of revenue or a need, it's more for me of an enjoyment. And if I get lucky, as I say, luck is a lot to do with life. If I get lucky and get a project that uh, that has ROI or enjoyment to me, then I'm going to do it. Um, I think that's a good way to look at a lot of uh, uh, things, especially like in in the arts. Is uh, if you enjoy doing it, if you get anything else out of it, it's a it's a bonus. Yeah, uh, Tom McLaughlin has uh, been out there the last six seven months, and he's written a new script for uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and he's doing his best to 
see what we can come up with Mr. Cunningham and Mr. Miller to amends to get to a point. But he's been out there talking about it. He's um, went on the record that he'd like to talk to me if I could resurrect Jason. Uh, the biggest thing is, like we both talked, in the same exact structure, 248. Uh, he's seen me in the wardrobe because I've done photos with Tom Matthews and Tom McLaughlin. Uh, so the character is the same statue as I was in 1986. That's a good thing about them not seeing your face. Doesn't worry about this gray as long as your muscle mass is the same. Uh, and like we both said, it really depends on the physicality if it's something I could possibly do. I mean, I'm not going to say no, uh, but if I can't deliver a product as good as Jason lives or better, then I would not engage. So uh, did you stay friends with Tom, you know, the, the whole time, or did you uh, kind of reconnect after uh, the conventions and stuff? We can, we've been in contact over the years, more so in the last three years that I've been able to do conventions because I see him more periodically out there. Uh, I think he's going to Indianapolis in a couple, three weeks to do a convention. Um, I did a one with him about a year ago in Blairstown, New Jersey, um, that Tom was there. So I do see him periodically. Um, and funny enough, uh, I just had communication with him today because I sent him something to send to that young lady's son that I had in my, my personal stash uh, that was of a very, very nice quality mask. Uh, not the original, but a very quality one that I had because I had three or four made for mock-ups for the wardrobes that I do at the conventions. And of course, they're tight right on the spot. Um, so I sent him one that he could sign and I could sign and send it back to this young lady's son. That's very cool. And that's very nice of you as well. And that, that's pretty cool, though, that uh, she's in uh, part six and then uh, still into the movies and wants her, wants her, and her, her son wants to uh, have something from the movie. Yeah, that was, she reached out to Tom from what Tom told me when he called me a couple of weeks ago. And lo and behold, a six-year-old son, you know, like I said, she was a kid. Now she's a woman with a child. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with one of those little cheap plastic uh, target mask he wants a real nice one and though he's not seen the movie he knows the difference of the mask so tom called me and said you got any ideas i said well i have three or four that i had made for wardrobe and uh, you always got to have a backup in case one gets sat on or broke um but i do have one i'll send it to you and you send it to them so it's kind of going through a transaction i believe he'll receive it on saturday of this week ups and then he'll sign it and forward it back to her. Very cool. Um, I had—I forgot. I wanted to ask. Uh, the beginning of the movie, when when Jason wakes up, uh, is that are those your eyes? And do you have maggots around uh, on your mask? Well, no, they're not. That's the second unit shooting. There's a gentleman named Christopher Swift. Okay. He's very well known in the makeup industry today. Also, just like Steve Johnson, uh, he's right up there with the Tom Savinis of the world. And second unit was getting ready to shoot when I was on principal shoot and they were waiting for me. And he has the same color eyes of mine, kind of green, blue. And Chris said, well, I'll put the makeup on. It's a close up POV point of view. And they did. And the maggot wranglers, they were called. <laughs> there was somebody with a, a Q-tip keeping those maggots out of Chris's eye to shoot that shot. So I got out of that one. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, I would say lucky you, but I, I don't know how you feel about maggots. But you know, I, it, it probably wouldn't have bothered me. I mean, I didn't care, but I was right. like, when you great, and 
I, you know, I've always given Chris credit for that that shot because, you know, lo and behold, and I and I just connected with Chris here maybe a month ago, which was kind of uh, cool, that um, I signed some autograph stuff that somebody had had Chris sign doing makeup. Um, it's got him putting on the makeup, and I signed it. And Chris had already signed it, so it got an opportunity for me to to find him through the channels, uh, just like Steve Johnson and others that I've worked with. Yeah. If he's listening, uh, Chris, you could go to conventions and that could be a photo op, the maggot wrangler photo op. You get the, put the makeup on the eye and put, you never know, get the Q-tips out and keep them out of your eye. And Yeah. You never know. And Chris has got the skill set to do it. Uh-huh. I like, I like the idea. Very cool. Uh, is, uh, can do you have a place where people can follow you today? Not to your home, but like uh, online. Yeah, if you just go to jason6.com, you can do Jason Roman numeral six or Jason six uh, helicopter.com, and it'll put you right to the website. There's contact information. There's eight by ten photographs you can buy and hockey masks that I'll mail to you. And what I do is, you know, I just you know I sign them, take a picture, and email you the picture so you got your proof in the pudding, so to speak. Um, it's fun. I mean, it also gives a lot of fans the opportunity to reach out to me uh, if for an event, special event, or a haunted house. Um, I, you know what's become quite popular and very successful is people that have comic book stores or special effects stores, and they want a weekend with C.J. Graham where myself go out or Kane Hodder has done it, and we show up for four or five hours on one day and sign autographs, and it's just overwhelming how many fans come through the door for those shops. Yeah, it'd definitely be fun. I know Kane, because uh, I'm in Massachusetts, you know, he's been at uh, in Salem. They have a lot of things like that, uh, definitely in Halloween. And, yeah. yeah. It's fun. And like I said, you know, prior to me finally retiring out of the casino industry, it wasn't uh, plausible for me. Uh, the feasibility just wasn't there because, you know, where you're at, I got to fly in on Friday, spend the night, do the Saturday. The odds are I can't fly out till Sunday. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there for the weekend. That just wasn't logical when you're trying to run a, a billion dollar casino resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally understand. Well, this has been really fun. I'm glad we get to talk. Thank you. Hey, Nasty Neil, we got to come up with an NN, something right. with electro, double N. You know, we got to come up with something totally cool that you own. It becomes your thing. I like this idea. Anybody listening has any ideas, you can send them in to us. Yeah, in end, nasty Neil. And I will tell you, I loved your intro. Thank uh, you. The graph, whoever did the graphics. I do the graphics, thanks. I really like that. Uh, that's, you know, I'm getting ready to, uh, to build a new banner. And I like the center focus of how they did the natural with the circle just to break it out. Yeah, I've actually done fun. some for, for some people using it. Uh, Barbie Wild from a Hellraiser and some other people. Yeah, I, great job. I was, as soon as you went on, I started looking at it. You know, I'm always, like you said, always looking uh, you got to remember when I was running casinos, you know, I had roughly a 70, $75 million marketing budget. So I'm always looking at the strategies of how you're marketing, how things are coming through. So when I saw that, I thought that's a great layout graphically for uh, a banner. Well, thank you. Know, you. So I'll just reach out to you. I'll pay right. you to do it instead of somebody else. All right. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Very cool. So, but thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you fans for, uh, supporting the friday the 13th series the franchise uh and all the people involved in it so i I always like to leave one thing you you mentioned uh tyler you mentioned halloween Mm -hmm. and i always i always like to let the guys know on halloween you know it's a little gotcha that real men 
use a machete, not an outback steak knife. <laughs> there you go. I think that I think that's a, that's a good that's a good way to I end love, the show. I love my cousins. Don't forget that we're related. Just so you know, I love oh, you really? guys. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. All right. Good night. Thanks. This has been really fun. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. Hey everybody, this is Tyler Main, and you are listening to WithoutYourHead.com. I still got mine. You got yours? From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming night! Mostly! They're coming night! Mostly! They're coming night! Mostly! They're coming night! Mostly! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming night! Oh, hi. My name is Todd Farmer, and I put Nicholas Cage in space, and welcome to my tool shed. Uh, I'm here to talk to you about voting. And I know you're going to vote because you're smart, and because you love our country, and you love our planet, and you love our children in the future, and you know that there is an idiot in charge. So I need you to vote, and I know you will vote. But if you could do what I'm going to do and reach out to a couple of others, because there are a lot of people who didn't vote in the last election. There are also a lot of people who voted for an idiot in the last election. And they know it. They've seen it. Four years, the smart ones on that side know. So I've reached out to a bunch of people I went to college with. I went to a small Christian college, grew up in a small town in Kentucky. Slowly and privately, I'm reaching out to some of them to talk to them about it. And you know what? It's worked. A lot of people who voted for Trump are going to vote for Biden this time. And a bunch of people who didn't vote last time will vote this time. So do what you can. Because we got this, and we have to, because he's already out there saying if he loses, it's because we cheated. And we're not going to cheat. We're going to vote. So thanks for listening, and uh, we're going to win this thing.